The scripture says, any man who is in Christ is a new creature. The old things have passed away. And it says, behold, all things become new. I didn't always live my life like I live it now. Some of you just have to trust that I'm living a life for Christ. Some of you know more than others. My, my daughter laughs at me because Jerry, I don't think he's in here. We call each other every day, sometimes twice a day. And she laughs at grown men. You guys call each other every day? <laughs> so Jerry knows a lot you know, of what's going on in my life, as well as I think the elders do too and some of, some of you others. But my life wasn't always like this. I didn't always live for God. Uh, when I started my life, it was actually going in the wrong direction. I grew up hanging out in the park, hanging out with guys that were in gangs, been involved in shootings and knivings and things like that. I didn't talk the way I talk. There's many things that I didn't do that I do today, but it was a process. It was a change in my life. But the point being is when God enters into our life, there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change. It's not a question mark. It says we are born again. We are no longer a citizen of the kingdom of this world, but we become a citizen of heaven. With all that being said, let's look at our text this morning. Just a little bit of background. In the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul is encouraging the Ephesian believers on just all the spiritual blessings they have in Christ. And, and it's a call to righteous living. It's a call to a holy life. And that's what you would get out of the first three chapters. Peter tells us that we have all things that pertain to life through Christ Jesus. Those are wonderful truths for all of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I'm going to read our text. It's chapter 4, starting in verse 17. And here's what it says. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, hopefully with open hearts, hopefully, hopefully with a willingness to listen to your voice, listen to your word. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would have the grace and the patience to give us a clear understanding of your message this morning. I thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I heard this one preacher before he taught. He said this. He said, teachers are, are held to a higher standard of accountability for what they say. He said, so what I say here this morning... If I am a false prophet or if I say something that is against the word of God, I'm held accountable for that. And I should have the fear of God in me. And then he said, but if what I say is true, then you should have the fear of God in you. 
if you're not listening and abiding by these truths. Paul starts out in verse 17, and he says this, This I say, or this I testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And he goes on. Now, I think it would be easy for all of us to walk away from this passage with a wrong understanding of what Paul is trying to say. And I'll show you what I mean. Let me ask you this question. How many of you like fast food? I mean, I'm not, this is not a nutritional question, but how many of you like fast food? I'm not saying we eat it every day. I know it's bad for you, high cholesterol, high in salt, and all that stuff. I'm just asking the question how many ask. The reason I ask that question, because I, it's not a spiritual question, I just really wanted to know if you were familiar with the terminology. Fast food. We just take it for granted. But see, it's ingrained in us. You know, when we came over here across the bridge, it said fast track. I mean, not many people even make popcorn on the oven anymore. You have microwave popcorn. I mean, who wants to go through all that trouble? You know, every... Just about every McDonald's and Jack in the Box, Taco Bell has what? A drive-thru. So you can get your food and eat it in the car. Most of us born after the 1950s are computer literate. We'd be dead without a computer. You've got to have it. Probably, most of us here that have a computer and a computer literate probably on it every day, at least an hour, every day. It's just kind of part of our life. Then we have emails. Emails, those are good. We don't have to have conversation with someone. Email them. How many of you ever got a phone call and you think, I don't have time for this? You know, and you just start talking. Somebody says, I'll call you. Email me. <laughs> That's how we live. Now, I'm not saying uh, that these things are bad things. I'm not saying that at all. My point is, is that they're going to have an effect on our life. They are. There's a lot of good things to them. But they're going to have an effect on the way we process things, the way we get things done. And if we're not disciplined, it's going to have an effect on the way we interpret the Word of God. Because remember, we're in this fast-paced mode, multitasking, doing several things at once. And it's also going to affect the way we take these principles of God and apply them to our life. I'll show you what I mean. Paul says this. This I say and testify in the Lord that you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And then he says in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, and he goes on and lists characteristics about the Gentiles. Now, I think it would be easy to summarize this and say, you know what? Paul's talking about the sin of the Gentiles, the sin of the unsaved. Who wouldn't come to that conclusion? And I think that would be a fair analysis. But see, here's where the breakdown comes in. We come to the conclusion that he's talking about sin. And then our mind goes into that fast processing mode. The sin of the unsaved. Adultery, stealing, Drunkenness, pornography, murder. <laughs> I'm not like that. And it's probably true, the things I've named. We're not like that. See, and we can miss the point or the message that God is trying to give us. See, it's easy to justify ourselves 
It's easy to think I'm not like those in the world. And we end up robbing ourselves from hearing the voice of God through His Word. Well, what is the message that Paul is trying to give the Ephesian believers? We're going to find that message. It's only a five-minute message, but it's going to take a long time to get there. Let me just give you an overview. Paul starts out by addressing how they're thinking. And then Paul goes into how they should think. And then Paul talks about how they should be living. I missed the first point. It's actually Paul talks about how they are living. And then he goes into how they are thinking, how they should be thinking, and what they should be doing. That's kind of the process that Paul takes through this message. Let's look at our text again. Paul starts out and makes a clear distinction between the way the Gentiles live their life and the way that God's children should live their life. And this is one of the first things I want us to look at, is that believers are not to live as unbelievers. Now, the word Gentile is used in a couple different ways. It can be used as Gentiles, as in a group of people, or it can be used in reference to those who are outside of God or opposed to the Jews and the Christians. Look at chapter 2 of Ephesians. In chapter 2, in verse 11, it says this, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens. There it is, used, talking about the Gentiles, without Christ. So when Paul speaks about the Gentiles, he's talking about those who are without Christ, those who are without God. And so the terminology we use today would be like saying more like the way of the world, the unrighteous, the unregenerate. That's how we could read that. And so Paul's saying to the Ephesian believers, no longer live like the world lives. He says you used to live that way, but live that way no more. Well, the question came to my mind, what was Paul so concerned about? I mean, how are they living? See, Paul makes it very clear that they needed to make a change in their behavior. Well, let's get some background of what was probably going on. Let's look at Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And I think Paul starts out in verse 23. He says this. This is what was going on at Ephesus when Paul was preaching the gospel there. He says, about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, bought no small profit to the craftsmen. And he called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have a prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Verse 20 Eight. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And so the whole city was filled with confusion. So we see that they made shrines to Diana. They made a lot of money through this. 
And so they, Paul, because of his preaching, caused an uproar and, and the silversmiths came together and they wanted to put a stop to this. And then we see that they cried out with, in wrath. They were angry because all this was happening. Now, the God of Deanna, she's actually a borrowed Greek God called Artemis. And Artemis was a god of hunting, wilderness, and animals. But the, but the people at Ephesus, they added to her the worship of fertility. Now, the Ephesians were a leading, leading city in the Roman Empire. And so they had a major influence on the region there. They built a great temple of worship for this idol, also known in history as one of the great wonders of the world. Now, it's believed that they were involved in foreign occasion, homosexuality, and many other sexual sins. Now, this was their religion. It was their culture. It was accepted amongst the people. And I think if you look at that, it fits well with the text. Look at verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says they have given themselves over to lasciviousness. See, they were boasting about their sinfulness, their lust. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness are covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Ephesians 5, verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so I believe that the Ephesian believers were probably involved in some of these practices. And see, Paul was concerned about this. And so he pleads with them. No longer live like the Gentiles live. You know, too many times people claim the name of Jesus, yet they live their life no different than the world. When we get saved, there should be a change in our life. You know, I actually got saved on a bar stool in in Monterey. Kelly had got saved before me. And I remember I was sitting in our garage at our home. And I remember the people didn't want, the friends of ours didn't want Kelly to be with me. She was a new creature in Christ. And I was an unbeliever now. And I remember she was all I had. My family didn't care about me. I didn't have anything. And I seen God taking her from me. And I remember sitting in the garage asking her, why won't God save me? I want to be saved. And I remember her crying. She didn't know what to say. She was just glad God saved her. (laughs) And I remember I left that next day to go to Monterey and I said you know what I'm going to make God save me that's what I said took my Bible and my tapes and everything took off get to the hotel where I'm staying at I I, literally I grabbed my stuff I threw it on the bed and boom walked straight to the bar and I asked the bartender to get me a drink and some change so I could buy some cigarettes. And I went back and sat at the bar and boom, it hit me. And I got this great fear upon my life. And I went down to the room and got on my knees and I opened the Bible and I remember reading the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And it just hit me and it changed my life. And I remember getting on the phone and started calling people saying, I'm... I'm saved. I understand. 
You know, how would it look if I'm still sitting on that bar stool? Yeah, I'm a believer. Praise Jesus. Praise his name. Yet it happens all the time. See, I don't talk the same. I don't think the same. I don't hang out in the same places. See, and that's what Paul is encouraging the Ephesians to do. Change their way of living. Their life, our life, should not look as we don't know God. That's the principle are one of the principles that we need to pull out of here and apply to our life. You know, we know that the believers in Ephesus need to make changes in their lifestyles. We know that from what we read. We can understand that. But what about us this morning? Are there areas in our life that God is calling us to change? Some of us are probably thinking, not involved in worship of idols, not involved in sexual sins, doesn't apply to me. It's not the point. You're involved in something. Paul says believers should not live as unbelievers. See, it's easy to look at our life and say, well, I go to church, midweek Bible study. That's only four or five hours of a 120-hour week. Where do we spend our time? What are we doing? Who are we living for? You know, maybe some of us can't see it yet in this text. But I think as we continue in our text, it's going to become very evident of how this applies to us this morning. Think about this. As we live our life, we are either on one side or the other. We are either living for the purposes of God or we are living a life of worldliness. There's no middle ground. There's no coasting. It's called lukewarm. See, but I think many of us in our churches today have become blinded. A lack of discernment. Not having the ability to discern between the two. But part of that, I think, is because the church has watered down the message. See, the church has indoctrinated itself with a whole new outlook on things and a whole new outlook on the people outside the church. And now we have terminology like acceptance, tolerance, relativism, And because of that, the gray areas have grown larger. See, the church is not as as dogmatic on what is acceptable and what is not. And because of that, people, however they want to live, can be accepted within the body. See, and it makes it very difficult to know the difference between those who don't know God and those who are a child of God. Unbelievers feel comfortable coming into the church and believers feel comfortable living like unbelievers. I attended a church where the pastor wanted to play secular music before the service. To make 
the unsaved feel welcome and comfortable. You know, up to this point, we talked about how the Ephesian believers were living, or probably how they were living. But you know, in this section of Scripture, Paul doesn't even really talk about that. I did. What does he talk about? He talks about how they were thinking. And I think it's important for us to understand what Paul is trying to say here. You could sum it up like this. If you're living like the world, then you're probably thinking like the world. If you're thinking like the world, then you probably don't know that you're living like the world. I think many in the church today fall into that category. We wonder why our churches don't grow. We wonder why people don't respect the church anymore. You know, I'm not trying to be negative or insensitive. I just want us to all see things as I truly believe they are in what God is saying through His Word. And I think that's what Paul is doing here in this passage. And Paul challenges the believers at Ephesus. And he tells them that they should think differently than those who don't know God. And I don't think any of us here would disagree with that statement. Here's the second point he makes. Put off the old man. Notice the emphasis on thinking. He says this, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. He says in the futility of their mind. Some of your versions may say vanity. See, the way they think is empty. Profitless. Their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from God. Ignorant of the things of God. See, the unsaved cannot truly understand the world around them. Or their own life and how it fits in. Paul says the life that they're living is in vain. Leads to no substantial purpose apart from God. Chapter 2 says this. And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. Paul is talking about those who don't know God. No, there's not a middle ground. Oh, they're a nice person. Well, they may be nice, but they're on one side or the other. Think about it. Why would we, as children of God, who have been enlightened, who have been given life, 
who have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies want to imitate or pattern ourselves like those who are spiritually dead. Now let's not mix this up because I'm not talking about evangelism. Because I think it's important for us to love those who are lost. We're talking about the way the world thinks. And we're talking about how God's children should think. You know, I think it's important. I do think it's important for us to evangelize. But we don't have to look like them. We don't have to act like them. We don't have to pattern ourselves like them to tell them about the love of Christ. You know, the question comes to my mind is, what does it take for the church to see that the world is opposed to the things of God. I heard one pastor say that the church is at peace with the world, but at war with itself. Think about that. Verse 22 says, That you put off concerning your former conduct. You know, last week I was at a restaurant. It was kind of funny because sometimes when I go to restaurants, a lot of people come up and start talking. And this one waitress comes up and she starts talking to me. And there was a manager. She walks up and I've never met her before. And the waitress says, oh, hi. Hi, David, come here. This is my boyfriend. She's talking about me. In front of this lady, manager that I've never met. I said, well, I'm not your boyfriend. (laughs) I said, I'm not your boyfriend. And this lady's going, and I said, I'm a one-woman man. I'm happily married. I'm giving a whole speech here for this lady that doesn't know me. And she continues on. She says, well, do you know any single guys? You know, this is the waitress telling me. And I said, Victoria... I already told you what you need. And she says, well, tell me again. And, 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 the, and the manager is just kind of, you know, looking and, and waiting for me to answer. And I said, you need to get your life right with God. And the manager looks at me and says, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. She goes, praise God. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is exciting. Are you? And she says, yes. I said, oh, Really? And so, which doesn't mean anything yet, right? We need to find out, are they truly a Christian or are they just someone who says they're a Christian? But she started telling me about her life. And here's what she said. She said she didn't understand, but once she understood, she said, once I understood, I changed my political party, I started homeschooling my kids, I just started seeing things differently, you know, and she's all excited. But basically what she was saying is she wasn't buying into the world's philosophies anymore. She understood that her citizenship was no longer here on earth. But it was in heaven. And she was just sharing all the changes that she made in her life. You know, James says it well. We need to have the right perspective of what the world is, what they do, what they how they think. And here's what James says. He says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, this woman understood that the old man was no longer going to reign in her body. See, she understood not to let the deceitful lust or the desires from within her control her life. She was no longer thinking like the world. Notice verse 22 says this. The deceitful lust just just doesn't say the lust, like like the wanting, the desires. It says the deceitful lust. See, we think we know what's right. And we can end up fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That's what that means. It doesn't mean, oh, I know. Yeah, I know. Well, it means the complete opposite of that. It means you think you know. But sometimes we don't know. John says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father. It's of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. What do we desire? What do we live for? You know, some people desire wealth, prestige. Some people live for the pleasures of this world. But I tell you what. You have Satan on one end who works through the world, and we have the deceitful lust from the old man who comes from our flesh. And they're both going in the same direction. And what's the result? The result is believers and unbelievers living and thinking. They're in harmony, in harmony together. Working in contrast to the purposes that God has for mankind. See, the world wants you and me. See, they have the answers. You know the world has the answers? They'll tell you how to discipline your children. Don't spank them. You'll hurt their self-esteem. Give them drugs. They have the answer to our marital problems. Explore new things. Divorce. They have the answers to sexual immorality. Just make it the norm. Homosexuality. Just make it right. Let them get married. See, they want us to buy into their philosophies for their standard of living. In verse 18, it says this. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They're going to tell us how to live. And yet, they're ignorant of the things of God. You know, the scripture tells us the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 
But Paul says, you know what? There's no excuse for the way you're living. Verse 20, he says this, But have you not so learned Christ? If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus... There's no excuse for us either. Here's the last point. That we need to put on the new man. Verse 23 says this. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, change the way you think and it will change the way you live. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, we already talked about how the believers in Ephesus and how they were thinking like those who don't know God. And now Paul wants the believers in Ephesus to make a conscious choice to change the way they think. See, in order for them to put on the new man, they need to be willing to put off the old. You know, that's a hard concept for the church today, and it's called repentance. We don't like to hear that. Oh, repentance. Doesn't even mean anything anymore. Oh, we've heard that before. No. You know, if we don't get that when we're saved, if we don't understand the concept of crucifying the flesh, die to self, and allow God to live in us. That's a basic principle on how we're going to live our whole Christian life. Because I tell you what, if you don't deny yourself, you're not going to listen to anybody. You'll do what you want your whole Christian life. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave Himself for me. We need to die to self. We need to repent from the way we think. Scripture tells us that we have deceitful lust within the old man. You know, I heard one lady says, you know what? I've been crucified with Christ, but that old man, he could resurrect at any time. <laughs> and it's true. We can just flip-flop. You know, I think we can all understand everything I've said intellectually. But we need to be willing to make the change in our life. You know, Romans chapter 1 Chapter 12 sums this up very well. It says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. See, it's by the renewing of our mind that we can know the perfect will of God. And Paul pleads here in Romans, and he pleads here with the Ephesians. It's not enough 
to just say, I understand. It's not enough to say, I agree with what you're saying. It's not enough just not to do some of the things we shouldn't do. We need to put on the new man. We need to make that conscious choice to renew our mind. See, the world wants to shape our minds. You know, there are many things around us that can influence or shape the way we think. Just in an ordinary day, we can be saturated with ungodly principles. If we're driving down the street and we see a billboard, there's a couple messages there. One, of something that you should buy. Two, something that's probably ungodly. If we use the computer, messages pop up there. I've listened to sermons and had them on, and Kelly walks in the room and says, why do you have that up there? It's like, what? I'm not even, I'm even there. There's, there's something on the, on the computer that is probably not the best thing to have there. We read the newspaper, listen to the radio, listen to worldly music, and we all know the television is a big one. It's filled with messages and programs that are violating the principles of God. See, and if we're constantly filling our mind with worldly things, it's going to shape the way we think, the way we live. Paul is saying, renew the spirit of your mind by filling it with the principles of God. And that comes from the study of His Word. You know, I think sometimes that we think we can put off half of the man, the old man, and then get half of the new man. And these people say they love God, but they don't want to give up the things they love. And they try to live their life with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Can you imagine what that would look like? Try walking like that? Won't work. That way of thinking comes from the fleshly desires from within. It only works one way. And that's the way Paul tells us in verse 23. By the renewing of the mind. Now, I started out this morning by saying it was a five-minute message, and it is. Because here's the message. The message that Paul has in this passage is this. <clears throat> He says, this I say, therefore, and testify of the Lord, that you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of your mind. He says, don't live like them. Don't think like them. They have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, and the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Here's the message. But you therefore... By the renewing of the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created by who? According to God, in true righteousness and holiness. See, God has created us all for a purpose. God has created us to be children of righteousness. To be holy and devoted to Him. That's the message. See, we can no longer live the lie. We are not created to live for this world. 
Is that clear? That's a very clear message to me. That speaks to me. That God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for your life. And it's a plan of righteousness. It's a plan of holiness. There's no other plan like it. It's a plan just for you. That's exciting. That's exciting. And He's going to equip you and give you the ability to fulfill that plan. This message, Paul says, he says, he's testifying in the Lord. I think that carries some weight. That speaks to me. That tells me that this is something that God is really concerned with. You know, I pray, and I will pray right now, when we leave here, that we could walk away with the message that, you know what, I need to renew my mind. I need to live my life for God. That's the message I want us to walk away with. I want us to examine ourselves and to be sure that where we are where God wants us. Are we making disciples? Are we meeting with people who don't know God? Are we studying the Word of God? Or are we trying to sneak through this in this fast-paced world? Don't look to the left and to the right because they might be doing the same thing as you. You look to Paul and Jesus Christ as your example. And then you ask yourself, am I doing that? Are people coming to know Christ? That's your evidence. The fruit that comes from your life. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your word and your truth. Lord, it's always a blessing to hear your voice and to know your ways. Lord, help us all to examine our hearts and our minds. It's so easy to be deceived. It's so easy to love the things of this world and to fulfill the desires of the flesh. But I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, discernment, the ability to see ourselves clearly as you see us. I pray that we would encourage one another, Father. We would love one another, that we would encourage one another to grow closer to you. And we thank you that we have your word and that you've given it, given it to us that we may live by it. We praise you and love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.